Hello, everyone. I'm Elena Armijo, and I'm the founder of the C-Suite Collective. This is a company I created for executive leadership coaching and wellness that supports C-Suite executives, entrepreneurs, and founders. We support modern companies committed to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, holistic organizational growth, and generational impact for years to come. Now, more than ever, businesses are running faster and with fewer resources. Burnout, overwhelm, disconnection, and disillusionment are the new norm for teams struggling with an old paradigm. At the C-Suite Collective, we believe deeply that providing massive support for your teams through executive coaching and holistic practices will create an inclusive culture, higher levels of performance, sustainable change, and the organizational impact you desire. You can find us at the c-suitecollective.com. Welcome to The Collective Corner. As the founder of the C-Suite Collective, I realize that we have so much gold on our platform and we want to share it with the world. So twice a month, we will be bringing you a conversation around leadership from the viewpoint of coaches. Today for The Collective Corner, we have Bebo Iwa and Hilary Hitner. Bebo is a professional certified coach with a master's degree in social work who partners with clients to identify more impactful leadership skills that transition into higher revenue, increased retention rates, and higher rewards. Hillary is a professional certified coach who partners with leaders and companies to support them through organizational and individual growth, with a particular focus with working parents looking to create harmony at work and home. We hope you enjoy the episode today, and remember, something powerful resides within you. We are here to support you in seeing it and creating it. Hey, ladies, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here on the podcast today. Um, You are special souls, and I'm excited to jump right in. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, let's um, jump right in. So I want to talk about what kind of a leader you both are. So I'd love to hear individually how you define yourself as a leader in the world. Whoever wants to go first. (laughs) You go first, Bebo. Okay. So, what kind of leader I am? Hmm. So it's it's interesting because even when I was doing my MSW, I circled transformative leader. They gave us all these categories, like what what type of leader are you? And I was like a transformative leader. That's who I am. It's in my soul. I like to support people and motivate and move them. And I think that's the type of leader I am. And it's even when I'm not doing anything but just giving people love that they transform just through love. So that's what, what the type of leader I am. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Nice. Um, well, I call myself an inclusive leader, which is what I'm constantly practicing, learning, hopefully growing into what I honor. But um, I'm also a goofy leader. <laughs> I'm also a flawful leader, like have lots of flaws. Um, I'm honest. I subscribe to the idea that everyone's a leader and it's just about being able to find that voice of ourselves as a leader. And, um, if I look back to, you know, my relationship 
to everyone everywhere my entire life, even as a young child, it was always looking to see. Actually, Babo and I were having this conversation just not too long ago. Um, <laughs> it was, uh, <laughs> I was always like looking for the the person who was maybe not inside the group and how to bring them into the group. Right. Mm. So I was always looking to see who might be the like, uh, for lack of a better word that's coming to me, but like the underdog or the person who might not be getting the spotlight or might not see their own greatness. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that that's where the inclusive aspect of me has always been growing. And, um, when I really started to look at becoming a coach and really working on my own leadership development, that's where I started to hone the skills to become an inclusive leader. That's super cool hearing where it came from too uh, for you, Hillary. And I'm wondering now, Bebo, did yours come from, like where did transformation come from for you in your life? Well, to be honest, my whole life, I've been the person in my family challenging everyone challenging everyone to think differently, challenging everyone to be different, be the better version of themselves. Even in relationships, and this is uh, part of my relationship history, but every person that I dated was someone I was like, oh, wait, this person has so much potential. I can see all the potential. And so therefore, let me be your girlfriend and help you get where you need to be in life. If you can hear the pattern, yes, I'm a fixer and I fixed every boyfriend from 16 to 30. I did. (laughs) And then what happened at 30? We decided no more. (laughs) I realized that I had a problem. (laughs) I said I had a problem at 30. And I was like, oh, okay, this is the pattern. Got it. But aside from that, that's the funny side of it. But aside from that, um, I was also a social worker from a very young age. I did programs with the government to really support youth in domestic violence situations and help them transform their experience. That's so good. It's been in my blood. (laughs) It's been in your blood. Yeah, I definitely resonate with the fixer mentality, uh, Bebo, because for a long time, I, I would be like the one that had all the answers and solutions until I realized that was just a way to stay safe from being vulnerable with people. (laughs) Connected to their pain. Oh, yes. Right? (laughs) 1,000%. 1,000%. I used to say, uh, oh, I live vicariously through everyone else. You all go out and make so many mistakes in life. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, you know, I wonder, so one of the conversations I wanted to have with the the two of you today is, you know, about inclusive leadership, um, DEIB in the world, and the conversations that we're committed to. And um, already I can see like as leaders in the world, how do, how does that connect to your mission and vision now and what you're up to for both of you? I work in a lot of different containers and I can say uh, that all of those places all come to that same point for me. Um, you know, we all come from the, uh, the same lineage of coaching and training and stuff. So we have these words, right, that we decide our, we find as our word that is our purpose in life, right? So mine was love. My life purpose is love. And um, I remember when it first, like, came to me, it was very generic. And I was like, nah, You're okay. mad. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit. Wait, can you press? Oh, no. Yeah, you can. Press? Okay, yes, okay. go for it. Um, <laughs> Um, permission to fix permission to curse. Um, but yeah, so, um, 
anyway, when I, and then as I started to get more and more connected to what that actually meant and I saw everything that I was doing, I was like, oh yes, this is all in alignment with people connecting to love in some sort of form, right? Love within themselves, love within the world, whatever it is, but ultimately always came back to that. And I think if I can look at all the different places that I'm in, I can, I can sincerely say that that is what is connected and the inclusive leadership aspect of it is, uh, is just that. I think that when, when we are truly connected with our own power and our own love, then we can then in response, be more inclusive in the world and we can lead from that space. Mm, Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So for me, I took all of my need to fix and shifted it into creating spaces where people felt like they belonged. So with every single client, every single conversation that I'm in, I want everyone to have an experience of me. Like we're in relationship. We are in relationship from the moment you said hello. Mm -hmm. And from there, people just get to be, and then they get to be creative. They get to be inspiring. They get to do all the rest of it on their own with just the space to simply be seen and be heard and just be with their thoughts themselves. So I took the fix, put it down and just gave the love. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So what I love about the three of us is we are all three committed to inclusion, belonging, diversity, equity in the world. And what's fascinating to me is, you know, I am a biracial woman, so half white, half Latin, Babo, black woman, uh, Hillary, white woman. And I'm using these terms very specifically, right? Because that is sort of what people see when the three of us walk into a room, right? That's the first thing that they they notice. And for me, depending on which room I'm in, it'll either be the white woman or the Latin woman, right? And so I'm curious about what you all see as the power of us in rooms and our collective, not only our backgrounds, but but the way we stand for people, because I think it's a unique opportunity to share with people uh, what that experience is like and what what we look for and what we offer to people um, through that lens. Ooh, I love that question, Lena. I think the thing that we offer is a sheer, like a simple opportunity to have people be seen. Like, There are so many people walking around with their not enough story and not holding space for one another because they're in so much competition with themselves that they can't even just exist, enjoy, be present, anything of that nature. I think the opportunity for us, the collective we, you, me, and Hillary together and apart is that we bring this um, ease and creativity and this willingness to simply be and see and love so openly. And I think that's it. I think, you know, it's interesting. So as a white woman, I work with a lot of white women and white men, um, specifically around uh, learning how to understand the power that they walk into a room with. And I think, you know, if we're going to specifically look at white women, and I work with a lot of like white feminists, right? Liberal white feminists, There's so much history there. There's so much in the way we were trained to be in the world. And um, that is that perpetuates racism, that perpetuates a lot of stuff that we don't even I don't think are 
um, present to the impact. And so as a white woman, I think a lot of the time the when like my responsibility when I walk into a room is to own to be conscious of the power that I have just because of the color of my skin and how that can be really dangerous if it's not something that is conscious and not something that is um, that I'm aware of. I mean, I could go away further into that, um, <laughs> but I'll stop there. No, it's a great opening because I think it's insight that these are the questions that I think when uh, we get hired by companies or clients to come in and work on um, DEIB initiatives or or culture, this might be the thing they're afraid to ask, you know, like, well, what are the three of you going to provide to our room? Or, you know, how will you create rooms that are brave spaces or soft spaces? That's a new, a new term I just learned uh, for myself that what are soft spaces like with uh, really hard topics about culture and change. And my next question for you both is, how do you take care of yourselves in these conversations? Like, what's the the level of self-care and well-being you have to take on to be able to lead conversations around DEIB? I think for me, uh, I say I bring love into spaces because oftentimes, before I even walk into a room or before I even open my mouth, there's often this stereotype of, oh, the angry Black woman or Black woman dot, 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 whatever biasy exists in the space, whatever judgment there is that's not mine to own that walks in the room with me. So I always lead with some love, some humor, some compassion and empathy for all. But to be honest, I think what I truly represent in rooms is one, a disruptor, disruptor of all those established judgments that aren't mine to own. But the impact is that when I take on that experience, I have to go home and do a ton of processing and love up with all the people that really truly support and see me. And I have to be in all of these deep conversations and also sometimes just not converse about it. Sometimes I have to grab some ice cream and just relax myself because of um, I'm taking on so many people's experiences and beliefs and trauma. Thank you for sharing that, Beba. Um, my access to um, understanding is through empathy. So I think the place that I find support um, to be able to continue is is being able, well, first I have an amazing team, right? Like I have a therapist, I have a coach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my husband likes to make fun of my team and how robust it is. But you know, I have a massage therapist, I have many ways, I dance, you know, I have all those ways of getting out of my body and out of my mind. I have um, a really strong hold on my heart about my commitment in this space, um, my commitment in the conversation and um, why I'm here and why I want to be here. I also really, truly believe that the more I can love up with someone around these conversations and in these hard conversations, the more they have access to actually seeing something new. Um, And I'm, you know, and allowing themselves to expand further and share that love for themselves and inside the, you know, outside the world. And then I also really love comedy. So I love to watch, this is gonna, hopefully this isn't going to come back to bite me, <laughs> but um, I 
I love to watch comedy where they make fun of white people because there's like something oh, no. that level of embarrassment that I'm just like, oh, okay, yes, 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 that's true. That allows that like comic relief that, yeah, we're all in this crazy, mm. ridiculous, like, it's just, it's insane. It's insanity. And so if you get too, if I get too bogged into um, the the depth of the darkness of it, then it it has it can take it can take me down. So being able to find that embarrassment and the humor inside of it allows a little bit more of a the lightness. Oh yeah. It's part of my self-care. <laughs> Beautiful ways of taking care of yourself. I'm gonna take some of those on. And I was just thinking, you know, for for me it's looking at ways, where's my line of what I can be with and what I can't be with in a conversation and for me, anytime that line comes a little closer to my heart where I find myself getting angry or righteous again in a conversation, that that's where I know, number one, it's time to step back and go take care of myself, but also uh, where my healing work still is to do, right? To be able to be, because of my commitment, right? Not because I have to, <laughs> to be part of the conversation, but because of my commitment to be able to be in a space where, where everybody can have a voice or an opinion and do their own healing work. So really lovely, lovely ways to look at self-care. Yeah. I love that too, because I think that, um, you don't always know where the line is and sometimes you'll have it in a minute in a moment where you have to be able to pivot and shift and find yourself. And, um, I think that's where that modeling, the vulnerability becomes such a unique and uh, really powerful tool to be able to say, I'm, I'm actually getting hit up with this. And so, you know what I mean? Like, and being able to be in partnership with someone else about what it is, the more you, you really practice that muscle of um, being able to connect to your own vulnerability and let it go and come back to empathy and come back to love, like the faster you can heal from it. Um, but I love that, Alina, because you, you don't, you never know when it's all of a sudden go, woof. Right. Oh. And that's what it feels like, right? I think that's what some people struggle with in a conversation about culture or race or social injustice is all of a sudden that might hit that trauma spot that we don't know. Right. And then I'll, and then we're in it and it's like, oh, okay, wait a minute. This is, this is that spot. And I need a second or I need some time or, I, you know, this, I need to hand this off to somebody else. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that you uh, both have those perspectives. I think I'm actually a bit of the opposite. I'm over-practiced with get, going back to my empathetic side, forgiving. I, I almost, in a sense, don't often allow myself to be angry at all because of the automatic stereotypes and things of that nature. And so the thing that is part of my self-care sometimes is um, improv and getting angry on purpose. Yeah. Wow. Because I, I, I've sucked it so much out of who I be in spaces so that I can do the work that I do. Yeah. And also, uh, you know, on some level, right, Babo have had to based on society. Oh, right? Oh my goodness. I mean, listen, I, I frown in the wrong direction and I get feedback like, uh, <laughs> why was Babo so angry today? Yeah. What's going on? I'm like, yeah, me, I'm the love <laughs> what, mm -hmm. me. And mm -hmm. I also bring a ton of love as a defense mechanism to compensate for all of the um, experienced anger and hate that comes towards me. 
So, yeah. Thank you both for sharing so openly because I hope that everybody's hearing something for themselves, you know, around what they can notice in others, but also in themselves, you know, where their, their own reactions and triggers are from. What do you both hope for um, with the future of, you know, diversity and inclusion and belonging in spaces and organizations and people? <laughs> Since people make up organizations. I'm like, how long do we have? <laughs> we have as long as we want. <laughs> I'm like, let me pull out my list. Um, I think, you know, the thing that, the first thing that came to mind is that people can work past the um, performative aspect of it. That just keep going. That it's not, like, that this isn't, that I feel like we're in a period um, of our lives right now that we're seeing like a second wave of, you know, focus since 2022 and focus on DEI efforts. And um, I, uh, you know, I, I think knowledge is, I think knowledge is power. And I just hope that it's used to actually empower versus have power over. Um, and so I think that's my biggest hope is that it's just, it's continued to use, be used for the right, you know, I don't want to say right reasons because it's not a check, checkbox that people really can, I can make actual true, true transformative shifts, um, for individuals, for systems, for cultures, all of it. I think we have such a long road ahead. And although, yes, some things have been created, there's been so much growth, so much more conversation. My hope for the future is that it's what I believe in and what I practice, that there is more belonging, that there is more uh, normalcy of inclusivity. And it's not, you know, to, to be quite honest with you, I hope Black women are part of the picture in the future. Like just a level of acceptance that isn't yet seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm still waiting for it. I'm still waiting for it. <laughs> well, yeah. that's really beautiful. And I, I'm present to the work you both are doing to have those visions realized. Hillary, the, the normalization that you bring to the world all the time around the the empathy piece and the compassion piece to have this be uh, not performative, right? Like helping women. I watch you help women all the time, especially white women around their shame and around their, uh, their view of, of a a hard, what they perceive as a hard conversation, right? Every day. And I think that's you realizing your vision and Bebo for you, you know, leading the way and, and having organizations, number one, uh, support you and put you first and foremost in the front and saying, go for it, lady, <laughs> taking it over. And then watching you build your own platforms to to bring forward to the world has been really exciting. Yeah. And I, I'd actually love to take a minute for you both to share a little bit about what you are building. So Bebo, I mean, will you tell us a little bit about your executive playground experience and what you've just launched? Oh, yes, yes. I am so, so, so proud 
of my new group coaching experience, the Executive Playground Experience EP. So it is a five-month program. Um, There's some group coaching, some leadership coaching, some DIB work, some amazing conversations, and then this luscious wellness weekend. I, You guys, I am so excited about this program. It, <laughs> it's pouring out of my skin. Um, wellness weekend, hired an amazing celebrity chef, haven't shared it with anyone yet. We're going to have an amazing dinner, amazing program, activities, like the works. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> so beautiful. Sounds so good. I She sent me her website for it. And I was like, Babo, this looks so, it looks, it looks like it's going to be, it is, it's going to be an amazing program. And your essence, all the power and beauty, you know, oh. behind it. Amazing. So yes. check it out. It's, well, um, it's going to be amazing. It's for uh, leaders experiencing burnout and also leaders who want to have the tougher conversations, the con- ones we avoid with all the conflict. So it's going to be fun. Beautiful. Well, and I'll, those conversations are the ones that create the burnout. That's the thing that people don't realize. <laughs> when you're circling, when yep. you're on that little hamster wheel and you're trying to avoid the hard conversation, just jump off and have it. It's done with, you know, makes it so much mm-hmm. easier. Yeah. And to dive deeper into that, it's not just a conversation about culture or DEI. I mean, hard conversations for people can be, I need more support. I'm working too many hours. Yep. I need time mm-hmm. off. Right. Like all of those mm-hmm. conversations are part of that cycle. Mm-hmm. 1000% just asking for a little support is often the most difficult conversation. Mm-hmm. So, it'll be great. Nice. Well, Hillary, what about your inclusive leadership mastermind? Yeah, so I've got an inclusive leadership mastermind that's starting up and uh, it's for white identifying women. And we're going to be looking at inclusive leadership as a whole, but we will keep coming back to the anti-racism framework. Um, And, you know, a lot of it is to support white women in understanding more in depth about how they perpetuate racism um, and how to release a lot of the shame and uh, guilt that comes along with that. Um, to unblock themselves so they can actually be strong and, you know, amazing leaders um, for their teams and for their lives all, all over the place. Nice. Yeah. And you will be starting a new round of it. Yes. Correct? Yes. I will be starting a new round of it in the fall. Beautiful. Well, we will link both of those programs uh, into the notes and people can find them there and check up more on them. Well, I, uh, I want to ask you, what is your favorite moment? And I know that's a really broad question, so I'd like to narrow it down. You know, a favorite moment, either leading or with a client around a DEI conversation. I'd love to know what your favorite one was. <laughs> they was laughing already. Yeah. <laughs> She's I think, like, you I, know I mean, what? it's a tough question, I right? <laughs> so it's like favorite it, moment? It's... it's... <laughs> Well, you know what? It's 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 a pretty good one because I do have a lot of uh, fun with my clients, although we have some we we hit some serious topics and definitely race being one of them, because sometimes companies hire me so that like the white male executive can work with the black with the short little black woman like, hey, go be great and break it up. Break up your stuff. (laughs) Get real. And Mm -hmm. so we do. And then I'll be on the call and the guy will be like, well. Uh, uh, 
what am I supposed to do? And do you think I'm racist? I'll be like, well, yes, sometimes. And that makes a difference. <laughs> and that makes a difference. It's true. Well, yes, I do. <laughs> yes. And, you know, because my job is to reflect back. And if I'm really reflecting with you, yes. Well, yes. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, in fact. Yes, I do. And that's all I really need to say to give them more space. Yeah. And well, yes. That's <laughs> <and what>, time. <laughs> well, and what did that moment give you, Favo? Well, I mean, I do this work because I genuinely love the work and I genuinely love supporting people in their process. Mm-hmm. And that moment honestly I love being a little cheeky a little spicy you know so it was just like I I after the call I got off and I was just laughing to myself like you're so bad (laughs) or good but that was so good no 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 I only say bad because I'm like I should not be enjoying this this much (laughs) this is a real moment for my client I should not be this excited (laughs) so good love it um, I, I think like, um, I'll, I had someone reflect to me how much they had, like that they had always just thought of it as, well, I've worked really hard. I've gotten to the place I've gotten cause I've done this and this and this, and then them being able to have that crack open that it's actually, they've been, they got to run around the track about five extra times before, you know, their colleagues actually did. Um, so just looking at you know, there's like, I'm kind of thinking of like a, a, you know, uh, an accumulation of a different conversations, but I think that that's the sort of, that's the one when that moment hits, that's the one that I, I always get a little bit like, okay, so now, now you can see it. Like now you see what, how it actually goes. So. Those are beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to think of mine. Uh, it's probably a culmination of moments like y'all are speaking to, but I think one of my favorite ones was when um, I got hired by a gentleman who um, identifies as Muslim and he, uh, not traditional, but I think, you know, had some practices and some beliefs that he was still honoring. And what I, what I noticed is he had a lot of judgments around women in his life through the, through the sessions that we talked about. And we were working on reinventing his relationship to women everywhere. And he would, he would come up against so many hard things in our sessions and just, you know, really get stuck around like the patterns with women and his limiting beliefs around women and, and was just really fighting his own defense and really his own fear, right. Or his own vulnerability around it. And there was this moment in a session when I asked him, I said, I think I just asked one question. I said, what makes you trust me? You hired me, a biracial (laughs) woman who is not Muslim, uh, you know, was raised Catholic and you, you put your ultimate trust in me. What had that happen? And y'all, it was like watching a light bulb go off around Mm -hmm. how he could really see the, you know, for whatever reasons. And we would talk through those reasons, but that he had put me in a box versus other people. And mm-hmm. it was really a, a really beautiful moment to see that awareness open up for him so that he could really fully still embrace his beliefs, but also open up a new uh, mindset around mm-hmm. what's possible. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was that moment where it's literally just like, so why do you trust me? <laughs> it's like, oh, that's a good question. Wait, I do, don't I? <laughs> exactly. I was like, well, you still keep hiring me, so it's got to be something. <laughs> I mean, you're paying it's for this. <laughs> yeah. Really nice. good. So I would love to know if you had a megaphone and you were going to be able to scream something, you know, through this megaphone to uh, the future generation, what would you say? Keep critical race theory in your schools. (laughs) (laughs) Megaphone, megaphone. Yes, that's a good one. Schools. Uh (laughs) On your radio, wherever you have to start talking about race immediately. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, that's such a good one. That's such a good one, Hillary. Hmm. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so the new generation is already up on this, but they don't work to, to fill some not good enough quota. They don't do that work. So that's really a message for the current generations who are in the office spaces. <laughs> Catch up with the new kids on the block. It's really. <laughs> that's but a nice I, phone. Catch up. <laughs> <laughs> but to the future generations um hmm uh, so many things but I think the one big thing is just get present to what it's really about what are you doing all the things you're doing for what is it really about so it's just a a, a lens to which to be curious just be curious about what you're up to is it for you? Is it for the next person? What are you really doing? Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> well, any last thoughts, ladies, before we say goodbye? Mm. This has been fun. This has been amazing. This has been really yeah. fun. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You both are such beautiful souls in the world. I feel so honored that you are a part of the C-Suite Collective, that you are fighting the fights you're fighting in the world and that you are just incredibly fun spirits. Thanks for being sisters in this work. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. 